Over the last few weeks, we've examined several aspects of Psach that relate not just to the process of Psach, but to the way in which a Posek needs to be sensitive to his audience, to the people who he's responsible for. Most recently we discussed the, uh, the types of policy concerns that go into making protective measures based on slippery slope arguments. And we ended last week by noting that while historically there may have been a dispute between Postkim as to the extent to which it was proper to be completely transparent as to which issues were protective and which issues were fundamentally prohibited. Um, in recent years, transparency is more necessary because realistically most people who are turning to Postkim are capable of doing at least basic research and discovering whether there's a machloket about a particular issue, whether there are ways of describing an issue in ways that are more or less halachic, more or less policy, and therefore to try to blur the lines, assuming that the people listening to the psaq will not be able to figure out that something is policy rather than strict psaq, that get much harder and can undermine the faith in a posseg. What I want to do today is explore briefly the question of why psaq is binding, and through that, show the extent to which the relationship between a posseik and the person asking the question, the person who will listen to the halachic ruling, is fundamental to the process of psak, and how it's not just good policy for a posseik to be sensitive to his audience, but in fact, the recognition that the people listening to the psak have power and have a place in the process is definitional to the process of psak, and therefore sensitivity to that is in fact uh, definitional. So why is it that when someone asks a halachic question, he or she is required or are they required to follow the halachic decision that they are given? So, the Gemara in Abu Dazara, Dav Zayin, writes that Tan Rabbanan Hanishal Lechacham Vetimei, Lo Yishal Lechacham Vitaher. Lechacham Vasar, Lo Yishal Lechacham Vyatir. If someone asks a sage, and he declared something impure, he should not ask someone else to purify it. To, if one sage forbade it, so then one cannot ask a different sage to permit it. If one asked two people, one said it was pure, one said impure. So the first position says it depends if it's biblical law. Follow. Sorry. 
if one of them is greater than the other scholar, follow him. And if not, follow the more stringent position. The second position in the Gemara, When one is unsure, because the sages one turned to, diverge in their opinions. So if you're dealing with biblical laws, then you should follow the stricter position. If you're following... If you are asking about a rabbinic issue, so then follow the more lenient position. So here there seems to be a limitation that once one has asked a halachic question, so then one should not go shopping for another psaq, but rather one should follow the position. Now it's not immediately clear from the Gemara whether this is only in the direction of Chumrah or even in the other direction. But there are clearly certain circumstances in which it is improper for one, after having received a halachic psaq, to turn to another posaic to undermine the position of the first posaic. The Gemara in Erevin Davav notes that in general, and this is slightly more expansive, writes that not only in a particular circumstance, but So before the halachic rulings always followed Beit Hillel, so if one wanted to follow Beit Hillel, he could. If one wanted to find, follow Shammai, he could. But what you could not do was be inconsistent. If you went for all the leniencies, you were evil. And if you followed only the stringent views, you're like a fool walking in darkness. One should follow either the stringencies of Beit Hillel and his leniencies, or those of Beit Shammai. And here, again, the Gemara uh, contends that there should be a certain consistency and one should not be uh, adopting neither all the kulot one can find or all the chumrot that one can find. And again, the exact parameters of this Gemara are a bit complex. What we'll do today is just try to analyze the basic uh, positions. So, what exactly is the nature of the limitation that once one has received a psaq, one should not turn to another posaq? And in the Rishonim, one will find that these limitations may apply to the Sho'el, um, to the person asking the question. They may also apply to other poskim who are aware that a psak was issued. And the second posak should not weigh in knowing that he would be undermining the psak of the original posak. But what would be the rationale for this limitation? So there are essentially three positions that appear in Rishonim. The first position that appears in Rashi, in Nida Dafchaf, is that the issue at hand is Kavod Harav. So Rashi presents the limitation based on the principle of Kavod Harav that is simply not respectful. If a posaic, if one turned to a posaic to get halachic guidance, 
to then undermine the authority granted by turning to another Chacham. The second position that's presented is that when one asks a She'elah, there is a certain type of neder, a vow, a commitment that is taken by the person asking the question that binds him to follow the psaq of the posseq. Now this position appears seemingly in the Me'iri, in the name of the Ravit, though the Me'iri himself does not seem to agree. And he writes that this is so much the case, that it's a neder, that that even if the original Poseik would change his mind and originally thought it was forbidden and then he decided it was permitted, one would be bound by the original Psak. Because since one had committed to listen to what the Poseik said, so he is bound. And then Muka Yosef formulates it once one asked the question, so one had committed to follow whatever the posake said. Now, one didn't have to take it as far as the Ravid. One could have said, I commit to listening to what posake X says. But obviously, if the posake says it's Asur and then changes his own mind, so then I will say it's Mutar. Because I committed to follow Rabbi X, not to follow the first things that the first psak that comes out of his mouth, even if he retracts. Um, so even within this possibility, the reason psak is binding is because some sort of neder, some sort of personal conviction, one could divide between saying that it's a personal commitment to listen to the first psak that is issued, or one is committing to follow the psak of Rabbi X, whatever it might be. But that is model two. The third model, which some confuse with the second model, is that of the Ritva. And the Ritva writes in Avodah Zayin that the reason that a psak is binding is as follows. He writes, Don't think, Don't think that the only reason you shouldn't ask is, well, it's better, it's lechatchila, it's not respectful. Even after the fact, if you ask the second posseik, The psaq of the second posseik has no relevance for the sho'el. Since the first person that you asked is a chacham, and he is qualified to paskin, he defined the object when he made it forbidden as asur. Meaning, the second pose cannot weigh in, and if he does, it is irrelevant. He qualifies this, of course. Obviously, this is limited to cases where the psak was a valid psak, even if one could argue it is mistaken, but if it is fundamentally mistaken and makes a basic error, 
So then the Psach doesn't count, but as long as the Psach of the first Posaic was in the realm of possibility, it is binding. And the Ritva seems to have the position, not that, as he says explicitly, it's not merely an issue of respect, nor does it seem to be an issue of personal commitment. But rather, by asking a Sheila, one invests the Poseik with the power to define the halachic status of one's object or one's situation. Now, what would that even mean? So, I think... The answer, compellingly offered by Rav Shal Yisraeli, is that to understand exactly what the Ritva wants, one must know another Ritva in Daf Yud Gimel. Commenting on the celebrated passage in the Gemara, Elu ve'elu divrei Elokim Chayim, that both of these words are the words of the living God, or the living words of God. He says, how could it be that both a Psach L'Chumra and a Psach Kula are both the words of God. So some say that it means they're both valuable because they both engage in the halachic process or the incorrect position is valuable insofar as it sheds light on the correct halachic position or various other answers. But the Ridva quotes Rabbeinu Tzarfat, probably Tosvot Rabbeinu Peretz, how could it be that they're both the words of God when one says mutar, one says permitted, and one says forbidden? Vitertu, and they responded, that when Moshe went up to heaven, the Kabel Terah, to receive the Terah, they showed him for every issue 49 ways in which it could be deemed mutar, could be deemed permitted, and 49 ways in which it could be deemed forbidden. And Moshe did not understand and asked God. And God responded, he wanted it to be given over to the sages of Israel in each generation. The Psak, the ruling would follow the Menachonu Lefiadrash. And the Ritva quotes this approvingly that this is correct. And that mystically there are other secrets to this statement. What Rabbi Israeli notes is that the Ritva seems to embrace a relatively radical halachic pluralism. Namely, that even in heaven, there isn't necessarily a right answer. God didn't necessarily have in mind that something will be asur mutar. Rather, he laid out several possibilities, 49 la'ater, 49 la'isur, and within at least reason, multiple possible halachic results are plausible on a series of halachic questions. And based on this, Israeli argues that what the Ritva believes is that because there are multiple metaphysical possibilities for each halachic issue in heaven, so the process of psak is one in which the posseg determines and actually creates the status in a given situation or of a given object. 
and doesn't just reveal that it's Asur or Mutar, but actually creates the status of Heter or of Isur. And therefore we have three models as to why uh, Psach is binding. One, the position of Rashi, that it's simply not respectful to turn to a posaic Bralachi guidance and then to give up the Halachi guidance and turn to another posaic. The position of the Mukha Yosef, the Raivet, that the reason a psak is binding is because the Shoel, the person asking the question, bound him or herself to the response, either as the Mukha Yosef might have it, to whatever the Posek would say, or more radically, as the Raivet has it, to the first thing that the Posek said, regardless of whether the Posek himself changes his mind, or the most radical of the positions presented by the Ritva that there are in fact multiple halachic possibilities that exist in Shomayim, and the act of Psach is the, is the, uh, the process by which a posek determines which reality the Shoel will have to follow, which will be real for him or her. Now there are several, Nafkemi, now there are several implications um, of this machloket. So, for example, as we already read in the Ritva, most of the Rishonim and Achronim assume that if one thinks that the reason one should not turn to a second posek is because of kavod, so then it could be that this is only an issue lechatchila, meaning while one shouldn't turn to a second posek after getting halachic guidance. From a posaic, if one does, so then you, the violation of kavod has already happened. But now the shoel has the right to ask around. Uh, sorry, to follow either of the psakim because b'diavad, once he asked it, so now he has two possibilities. And this is clearly how the Ritva understands Rashi as well and distinguishes his own position from that of Rashi. Now clearly, according to the position that one binds himself either to the words of the first posaic or the position of the first posaic through, through Neder, this would not be the case. And according to the Ritva, presumably as well, if one's halachic reality is created, so then turning to another posaic will not change that. Another potential nafkamina would be the question of whether this only works in one direction. Is this only lechumra, meaning that once one has accepted a position which is stringent, one has received a strict psak, one cannot turn to a posek to get a lenient one, or is it true even in the other direction? So if it's about kavod, if it's about respect, then presumably it works in both directions. If you got halachic advice, So to go around and get a second opinion, that can be disrespectful whether one is looking to be more lenient or one is looking to be more machmir. Either way, it shows a lack of trust in the first posek. If it's about some form of neder, so then presumably it only goes in the strict direction. One cannot give up on the stricture that one accepted, but if one got a permissive psak, one did not commit to 
doing something, they committed to potentially following the prohibition. But if the posek said you're allowed to do it, that doesn't mean they have to. So if they went to get another psaq, presumably that would be permitted and perhaps would even bind them. If the second psaq, unlike the first, was strict. What about according to the Ritva? So many achronim argue that for the Ritva, like the Ravid, like the Mukha Yosef, this only works in one direction. This only works, lechumra, that one cannot turn back on a strict position. But they believe that it is impossible for a posseik to give a status of kula, of leniency, to an object or in a situation. And therefore, if one originally got a lenient psak, so then one would be permitted to go to another posseik to possibly get a machmir psak. However, and this is the position of Rav Yisraeli. However, Rav Henkin, Herzl Henkin, and Shub Bnei Banim, in Chele Gimel, Shavachet, writes that if one is careful in the Ridva, one sees that this is, in, this is in fact not the case. And later in that same piece in the, piece in the Ridva, he writes, Whenever the two poskim that one turned to are equivalent, and they argue, The status of prohibition cannot inhere in the object, because the psak of Kula has already taken effect, and therefore one is permitted to continue following the lenient position. And therefore one sees that this metaphysical position, that one grants a status to the object, determines the halachic reality, if one is careful in the ridva, it seems to be that this is true, even l'kula. That once a posseg has given the status of kula, at least in this particular instance, that kula inheres in the object and is impervious to a strict psak, at least for the sho'el. Now these are the, fir- the, the three main positions with some of the nuances that are found in the Rishonim. Now there are many different implications of these issues, but I want to focus on one. One or two that, focus, that, that, that highlight some of the issues we've been discussing the last few weeks. And that is, that according to all of these positions... <coughs> What gives the posseg the power to determine the direction that the shoel will follow is nothing objective. It's not the assumption that posseg always knows the truth. And therefore, one must listen to the posseg. Rather, according to all three positions, what gives the posseg the power to answer the shoel is the fact that the shoel asked the question. And if you think about it, Right, let's go through the three positions. According to Rashi, when I ask Posig X, so then it's not respectable to go to Posig Y. But had I gone to Posig Y first, so that would have been fine. It's only my choice to go to Posig X that limits the decision that I can then follow. According to the Ravid, Muke Yosef, I committed to listening to the Posig. But if I asked someone else, I committed to following them. And according to the Ritva, the most radical, I asked a question and therefore granted that posseik the possibility to determine my halachic reality. Bain l'kula, bain l'chumra. But the common denominator between all of these positions is that 
What gives the Poseik this power and limits the choices of the Shoel is nothing objective. But rather, it's the choice that the Shoel makes to ask the Poseik in this particular case. And this, I think, is a point that is often missed. Because often people think that the reason they're bound to a Psaac is because the Poseik is correct. The Poseik is the expert. And at some level that's true. And in previous Urim we talked about cases in which one's freedom is a bit more limited than this. Such as when one has a Rebbe Mufak or is part of a community that follows a particular Poseik or there's a Morida Atra. And we spoke about geographic Morida Atra, ideological Morida Atra. And it is definitely true that in certain circumstances it is not legitimate for one to simply ask any posake, and one has pre-existing relationships that should determine where one goes for Allah guidance. But what the three central positions about the binding nature of individual psakim reveal is that the power of a posake in the end of the day to a large degree is not inherent, but is rather granted by the Sho'el. Is granted by the person who puts his faith, or her faith, in the Poseik. And therefore, as we've talked about in previous weeks, to be a good Poseik is not just to provide good halachic guidance, but it's to be able to persuade. It's to be able to gain the trust of the people turning to the Poseik for guidance. And this becomes quite clear in this sugya, where according to all the positions, what sets the binding nature of Psaq in motion is the choice of the Shoel to trust this Poseik and turn to them for guidance. But without that, the Poseik would not be able to bind them simply by his conviction that he is correct in what is the halachic reality. And this manifests itself <coughs> in certain critical ways. To highlight one, the Rishonim write, and this is Mifsakla Alakha by the Ramah, in Yeradeh, Simen Reish, Bet, Siman, Sif, Lamed Aleph, that everything we've just said is only Kozeb, Otaho, Ra'a, Atzma. Aval b'maaser, Acher, Pshita, Sheyachol, Orot, Mashiner, Ailav. That this is only true in this particular question that was asked. But if the same question would come up later, so then this, a second posse could be approached and a second posse could weigh in. And this would not violate neither the commitment of the Shoel nor the limitations of other poskim to weigh in when, a other pose, when another poseik has already expressed his halachic position. And this is quite striking, because people seem not to realize this. That this power that's granted the poseik, it doesn't mean that I once asked a shayla about my spoon that fell into my pot three years ago to poseik X, and now a similar situation comes up and now I don't have the choice. And since then I've moved. I have new rebellion. I have relationship with new poskim. And now I'm not allowed to turn to them because this issue has been decided for the rest of my life. 
The Ramah is explicit that this is not the case. It's only It's in that psak. But if the same issue would come up or a similar issue would come up, one would be well within his rights to turn to another posaic. And this, I think, highlights in a very extreme way what we've been saying. That, yes, it's true that one is bound in a certain sense for all the reasons that we discussed to follow a psaac that he or she receives. But point one, it's important to remember that the power granted the posaic is not inherent. It's granted by the shoel. And two, it's only granted for that which was asked. But a person has the right, when the same question comes up at a later point, to decide that they have faith in a different posaic at this point, that they have a relationship with a different posaic, and turn to them. And then, while in the first case they may have had to listen to the posaic X, in the next case they're allowed to ask posaic Y. And this, I think, really highlights what we've been saying. The extent to which to be a posaic requires to have a relationship and develop the trust of the Shoalim. Because, as the Ramah highlights, if one does not have that, so then it is unlikely that the person who asked the question one day, even if halakhically they are bound to follow the answer, will come back to that posaic in the future. And this relationship is dynamic. And the binding nature of Psaac is limited to that which is granted by the Sho'el to the Posaic, and therefore being able to maintain this relationship and recognize the centrality of the Sho'el and keeping that in mind in Psaac is critical for a Posaic to have a continued relationship that is halachically or pastorally meaningful with those who approach him for Psaac. There are other limitations that point in this direction. So, for example, the poskim note that this is only in a case when one asks a she'ila. But if one were to turn to two, to two poskim simultaneously and say, look, I'm not asking you for psak right now, but I'm trying to understand the sugya, and I'd like your opinion, I'd like your opinion, and is open and says, look, I asked posik X and I asked posik Y, and I'm not asking you now for psak, that also would not bind the Sho'el. The only thing that binds the Sho'el is asking for Psaac, is saying, I'm ready to follow your decision. And that as well, that ability to prevent oneself from being bound to a Psaac by being honest that one is merely trying to understand the issue and get different opinions, that again highlights the extent to which the voice of the Sho'el is not lost in the process of Psaac and is central in the formulation of Psaac. And therefore, our brief survey of why it is that Psaac is binding, I think, furthers the issue that we've seen in different ways over the last two weeks and months. That part of the halachic process is a posik recognizing that he's speaking to actual people and must develop tr- their trust because in the end of the day, his authority and his ability to exercise halachic guidance is dependent on their trust in him, on their turning to him, and without that, he can express his opinion all he wants. But what makes that a psaq, what gives it halachic power, is that there were people who were willing to trust that posek and grant him authority to make that decision. 
And therefore, as we've seen in the last few months, a posek who doesn't recognize that will not get very far. And that is why recognizing the importance of language and trust and transparency and cultivating a relationship between Poseik and Shoel is so central to the halachic process.